vocabulary is so, so incredibly important. It expands your capacity to analyze and think. Hello, and welcome to the Arts of Language podcast with Andrew Poudois, founder of the Institute for Excellence in Writing, or as many like to say, IEW. My name is Julie Walker, and I'm honored to serve Andrew and IEW as the Chief Marketing Officer. Our goal is to equip teachers and teaching parents with methods and materials which will aid them in training their students to become confident and competent communicators and thinkers. So, Andrew, today on our podcast, I'd like to talk with you about something that you generally are not a fan of talking about. Uh, let me guess. The next article I have to write. Well, that would probably be something that you would not want to talk about. But no, it's a conversation about literature and writing about literature. Mm. And I will say that it's not that you don't value literature because I know you do. And you've given us many books to recommend for us to read. And right now, probably have three or four books going, right? Don't you just have a lot of books that you're constantly reading? And so I know you are a fan of literature, but I know that whenever you and I have conversations that talk about, hey, Andrew, let's do a master class for our premium members on literary analysis yes. or response to literature. That's where you kind of get a little... Right. Yeah. And of course, you're always very, very worried that I'm going to say some things that you don't like when we talk about literature. So now all of our listeners are wondering what that could possibly be. So it's the lovely thing about podcasting is we can edit this out if I don't <laughs> like it. <laughs> well, you know, my experience... Mm-hmm was that I read books at home as a child, and then I went to high school, and then I was told what books to read. Mm -hmm. And then we had to, like, write about them. Right. And it became a, an increasingly irrelevant and disliked mm -hmm. activity. Sure. And so I have that firsthand experience as well as a, a concern that we can force kids into analysis before they've got the book in their heart. Right. You know, and so the analogy that you don't like would be, do you play with the puppy or do you kill and dissect the puppy? Which, of course, now you know, dear listener, why I hate it when he says that, because that's just so sad. But don't kill the puppy. It's don't a, kill the puppy. You know, it, it is advice. Mm hmm that I think is very, very useful. Yes, yes. And so, you know, that's why I've been resistant to going into these areas that everyone claims is so important mm -hmm. because I'm not sure is it really as important as people claim. Right. If there is value, how do we get the value out of it without unintentionally destroying the joy, the impact of the experience. You know, this, it reminds me of uh, John Taylor Gatto's book. Mm -hmm. We used to sell it. I love it. I still recommend it. 
an underground history of American education. But he has a, a chapter where he talks about wanting to read Moby Dick mm-hmm. with his group of eighth grade school students in Brooklyn, New York, and how he ordered from the school the the school edition. But the school edition came with uh, chapter by chapter abstracts mm. and end of chapter questions. And he kind of in in his narrative there explains why this was the opposite of what he wanted Mm -hmm. because it prevented, in a way, a personal exchange between the reader and the author. And I I think we fall into a deep trap when we have a book and then we get something to go with it that's going to ask all the right questions and have all the answers because that may or may not help a student understand the book, but I'm not sure that it helps too much at all for them to love the book. Mm-hmm. And as as Gatto discovered, what he had to do was throw out the school edition mm-hmm. and go buy a set of what he called undoctored texts <laughs> with right. his own money mm-hmm. and give it to the students. And so I think I'm just you know very cautious. I don't want to bring into that an activity that is going to narrow Mm -hmm. their possibilities of experiencing. But, I mean, if you and I read the same book and then we got together and talked about it, Mm -hmm. there would be things that you would remember and tell me were significant. I might not even remember those things. Yes. And vice versa. Right. So we would expect that as adults. Right. And we actually had that conversation with Anna Karenina. See, I'm not even sure I'm saying it right. Anna Karenina. Anna Karenina. Karenina. And you loved that book, loved it so much. And I did not like that book much at all. And it's interesting because I read it from her perspective and you read it from his perspective, which totally makes sense. But yet she was not a heroine. She was not. Well, you read it from Anna's perspective? Yeah. Yeah. Well, Levin is is the main character. Well, and uh, Katie. Okay. Anyway. Uh, <laughs> but you can see the point, listener. <laughs> we'll right? do a whole podcast on Anna Karenina someday. Maybe. Um, <laughs> I didn't yeah, like that d- book. <laughs> but my point was yeah, we've even had that experience. Mm-hmm. We get way different things out of mm-hmm. books. So there wasn't a right answer or a wrong answer. We both agree that, oh, that's a different perspective. I never yeah. even thought and about so that. And so I'm, you know, I'm, I'm a little fearful when we say, okay, now we're going to mm-hmm. judge or grade mm-hmm. or test a student on his, his or her answers or writing in response to a book. Right. But with our grading system at IEW, I don't really have to worry about content all that much. Hands-off <laughs> content. try and let them play with it. And I, I have discovered, I will confess to you <laughs> publicly <laughs> that in doing the SSS mm-hmm. uh, end of the year Unit 9 extensions, particularly Level B and particularly Level C, right. where we did get into that response to literature and literary analysis, it went really well. Mm-hmm. And I think we struck the balance of keeping the kids' excitement without falling into the, now we have this huge chore of overanalyzing something. Yes, and I think there's 
two really good points that you brought up that I'd like you to just spend a little bit more time on. One is that we did this, we touched on this at level B, which is middle school, but got in a little deeper, but we didn't spend a whole semester on that. Oh, no, no. In high school. So talk about the age appropriateness. And then the second part of that is, I don't want to go into exactly how we taught writing about literature, but some of the, the ways that you preserved it. So question one, what's the age appropriateness of starting to have the kids write about literature? Well, you know, as kids grow up in preteen, teen years, they become able to think more objectively. Mm -hmm. And you get beyond the conversation of, oh, how'd you like it? It was good. Why? What did you like about it? I don't know. It was just good. Mm -hmm. I mean, how do you provide the words to get past that? That's that's one big question. And we start that with the Unit 9 critique vocabulary. And that starts probably the second year level A students, so maybe later elementary. And, and I would argue you could even provide that vocabulary mm-hmm. in the context of let's just talk about this book. Right, right. And so we'll get to that a little bit So what kind later. of character is mm-hmm. that? Mm-hmm. And then you've got some words to help mm-hmm. categorize and understand and analyze for you know in a in a meaningful way. Mm-hmm. So you know in high school that's generally where we get kids taking English lit and writing papers about the things they're reading in English lit in preparation for analytical writing needed at the college and university level. So when is it appropriate, generally speaking, for kids, students, to start doing written assignments based on literature? Well, I don't know. It could vary greatly. It, if you have a, a student who could be as young as 12 or 13, they read well, they, they read hard books, they engage in conversations about that mm-hmm. stuff, and you could guide and kind of do it together mm-hmm. with them, sure, mm-hmm. why not? But then you may have kids a couple years older and they are just going to be turned off by that whole idea, and you've got to move them gradually, mm-hmm. you know, in with maybe just short stories right. and poetry rather than a, a big, heavy, hard-to-read novel or classic or something. So I think it's very, very important that we, as much as possible, free ourselves from that attachment to everyone in nth grade should be doing A, B, and C. Right. To here's my students. Here's my child, right? What's going to work right now for them in the best way possible? So let's talk about the pathway, though. So I guess rather than assigning it to a certain age, what kind of experiences do the students ideally have before? And that's that's actually yeah. getting into the main conversation that we're having, which is are there alternatives to writing assignments yeah. about books? Which is the conversation, the colloquium. The, mm-hmm. I would use the word symposium, but the original Greek means drinking party. So you <laughs> might not want to do that with your students unless it was just, you know. Tea. Trader Joe's chai. <laughs> um, but the, the idea, I think, and, and I think most literature teachers strive desire deeply to do this, and that is engage in a meaningful, in-depth, and I would, ha- I would say by necessity, somewhat relaxed conversation mm-hmm. before the analysis and any subsequent writing mm-hmm. is required. Because 
that's how we get ideas. Mm-hmm. You know, I often think it odd that in schools we may say to kids, now you have to figure this out all by yourself. You have to do this all by yourself. And, and if you don't, you're cheating. Whereas in the real world, we're always interacting and working and getting ideas mm-hmm. and bouncing ideas off other people and um, using the synergy of shared perspectives and experiences. Why wouldn't it be good for kids to have that as well? The problem is the classroom time is valuable. There's so much to do. And, and just talking is hard when you have a larger group. Mm-hmm. When you have you know, five people, you can have a pretty good conversation and involve everybody. Mm-hmm. I feel like you max out around 12 mm-hmm. to just keep track of everyone. And you get above that into the 20-something, people just disappear. Mm-hmm. They tune out. They're not, they're not engaged at all. So it's then not a great use of classroom time. Because an unengaged student, a not engaged student, is a not learning student. Probably. Mm-hmm. I mean, there are people who could not ever say anything but hear and remember and imagine. And I, I met kids like that. Mm-hmm. You know, the solution then is let's put you into smaller groups. Right, right. But then the problem is there's no leader. There's mm-hmm. no facilitator. If there is, now you've picked one above equals and that's mm-hmm. always awkward. Mm-hmm. So I think it is, is very – I think it was you that was telling me in a group of any size what – Four people do 90% of the talking or something like that? Asking the questions in a group of 10, 20, 1,000? Yeah. It's four people. Four people. Mm -hmm. So ideally, if you had four people, (laughs) you you could have a really great – and I think you can kind of expand that. One of the things Andrew Kern has said Mm -hmm. many times is, you know, on my deathbed, if I were to give one bit of advice to a teacher, it would be – Ask specific questions of specific students. So, you know, that's sometimes easier, sometimes harder. But if mm-hmm. you say, does anyone know? Yep, mm-hmm. it's the four people who want to say everything. But if you, if you say, so, Julie, you know, in this case, what do you think mm-hmm. could have happened? You know, then draw out everyone. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But it's tough. It's tough. It's, mm-hmm. it's, it's never going to be easy. But you can do it. You can create the environment. And I personally think that the shift from every kid has to figure out his own paper to, hey, let's stir a whole lot of ideas and possibilities and perspectives up. Mm -hmm. Let's steal from the rich. Mm -hmm. Let's grab it from everyone's conversation and kind of hold it in the air. Or as you see me teach, I Mm -hmm. like to make notes on the whiteboard what Mm -hmm. everybody says. Right. And that holds it a little more solidly. And now, okay, now write a paper and use anything that anyone said. Nobody owns these ideas. Right. So and that gives, a lot of, that gives a lot of peace. Mm-hmm. Well, let me put it a different way. That helps to alleviate a lot of the anxiety that students feel when they come into this kind of new and what appears to be more rigorous area of yeah. writing. Yes. When I think about the foundation of our writing method with Dr. Webster teaching West African history (laughs) (laughs) and the foundation of where writing instruction actually happens in many other scenarios, Dr. Webster was teaching in the context of history. 
and the content areas. Yes. And where I learned to write intentionally, you know, actually taking writing lessons, if it were, as it were, was in my English classes. Mm -hmm. And we were writing about literature, and that was hard. It was hard to write a summary and an analytical paper on A Tree Grows in Brooklyn, which was one of my 10th grade assignments that I remember today as something being horrific. I did not, I loved the book, but I didn't like writing about it. Uh Because I don't think I got it right according to whatever answer guide. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So how, how can we create opportunities with structure and modeling mm-hmm. to help kids move into that world of writing about literature? Right. But feel safe, feel supported. You know, there's, there's no black and white really right. here. I mean, you could give kids a quiz and it said – did so-and-so do something else, and it's true or false. But, I mean, even what's the point of that? Is that mm-hmm. the best use of your time? Or are you just trying to, you know, police them and be sure they read the book? Well, and you and you say that, actually, in the teaching, writing, structure, and style, that is oftentimes the reason for giving a book report to students is you <laughs> right. just want to make sure they read the book. Yeah. But even in our Unit 9, which is as far as Dr. Webster went in terms of writing about literature – it was intro and conclusion around a, the Unit 3 model, which is retelling a narrative. And, you know, it's more strict because there's no deviation from it. You right. can't now make the fox and the crow, the crow have a screechy voice like a saxophone right. because that was the original. You're doing a strict summary in the middle. Right, right. And, and there are ways to do a critique and make it sound almost more like instead of you're telling the story, you're telling about the story. Right. Uh, but it's the conclusion where mm-hmm. the kids have that request or demand upon them to say, you know, what did they like or not like, what was good or bad. Right. Uh, and it's hard for them to lock onto something because they're just thinking, I liked it or I didn't. Right. What did you like about it? Which is why we need to help with the analysis process and line up these things. So what can you say about characters? What can you say about plot? What can you say about the theme? Mm -hmm. Uh, This is also where, you know, Adam Andrews' uh, program, Teaching the Classics, comes in very, very helpful for any teacher of literature or writing about literature because his well-developed list of questions then kind of allows you to have, you know, the secret weapon you need to stir up enough ideas right. so that everyone can find something and be relatively successful. Right. So I, I, I want to circle back to that in, in just a minute or two. But I wanted to kind of go back to Dr. Webster's system, of which our whole company is founded upon, stops at Unit 9. He thought about doing a Unit 10 on writing poetry He's still alive. Who knows? It might actually happen. <laughs> oh, yeah. He pesters me. Yes. But we, we I shouldn't say we, I should say you, uh, by hook or by crook, <laughs> have expanded upon the Unit 9 models and beyond that with doing the response to literature, with doing the literary analysis where they're actually writing about literature. And I do eventually want to talk more about what you mentioned Adam Andrews' course because that's a little bit different than what we're talking about right now, which is writing about literature. 
And what we're saying, I think what we're saying is, yes, give the students tools from which to draw vocabulary. Talk about this words. You need to have the words in order to express ideas for a moment because I think that would be really helpful as a part of this conversation. Well, the kind of stereotypical humorous example I might use is a child writing about their dog. And so they say, my dog is named Benji and he is really, really cute. He is fun and awesome and I really, really love him because he is so awesome and fun. <laughs> the end, right? <laughs> right, right. But you, you can't fault a child for doing their best. Why was that so narrow and restricted? Well, two things. One, methodology of thinking didn't really happen. It was just, what's the first thing that comes to your brain? Mm -hmm. Rather than, hmm, let's go through a process. Mm -hmm. uh, beginning, of course, with division. What are some things about your dog that you could talk about? Mm -hmm. But on the other hand, uh, you get a limitation based on the words. Harry Potter is a really interesting book because Harry is really cool and all the other kids in at Hogwarts are really cool and all of the problems they have are interesting and it's exciting. The end. It gets the same problem. Okay, so division and vocabulary. And, you know, I could take that exact same book report and apply it to just about any <laughs> book if that So, you level. know, interesting, 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 interesting. Why is a child reusing that word so many times? Mm -hmm. They don't have any other ones to use. Mm -hmm. They can't think or write a word that they don't know. And that is really at the crux of why vocabulary is so, so incredibly important. It expands your capacity mm -hmm. To analyze and think. And I, I know I've probably mentioned this once before, but I think it's fascinating how George Orwell, in his book 1984, went into great detail about how, you know, the big brother and the government that controlled everything each year would produce a new speak dictionary. Hmm. And by law, it had to have fewer words than the previous year. So they were intentionally trying to shrink the language. Hmm. So if you have plus good, you've eliminated the idea of excellence. If you have double plus ungood, you've eliminated the idea of evil. So you eliminate ideas from people's awareness by removing the very words. Hmm. And that, in a way, Orwell was very prescient to note uh, that if you can control the language, you can – actually control the thought of hmm. people. Hmm. So what do we want? We don't want to control the thought of people. We want to equip people with more language, better vocabulary, lots of methodology of, of approaching things mm -hmm. so that we reach you know, the holy grail that everybody wants and no one knows what it is, mm -hmm. critical thinking. Right. Everybody wants it except when they find out what it is, mm -hmm. and then they kind of don't want it. <laughs> and, and I'm not going to say, you know, I will give a definitive statement <laughs> on what is critical thinking. Right. I just find it very humorous 
that's that's written into standards and goals and curriculums in so many different places. Right. And yet you really do not detect a methodology that will start at the beginning with the simple question, how do you think? Mm-hmm. You have to you have to know how you think before you can even think about thinking critically. Right. And then you've got to define words, and that requires more words. And if you read definitions, you don't understand the words. You can't under- – you see how it's all just – Yep. it's all just so interconnected. Yep. So, I mean, if I had one hope for everyone teaching children, using our system or not, and using our system, I know, helps hugely with this. But my one big hope is that your students would leave and – and have the feeling of, I learned a lot of words, mm-hmm. and I learned how to think better. Mm-hmm. And those are simple enough that I think a 10- or 11-year-old student could be that reflective Yes, and say, hey, I did that class, I did that semester, I spent that year in school, I had that teacher, and I, I know what I learned. Mm-hmm. So uh, let's strive for continuing to pursue the vocabulary mm-hmm. side. Right. And of course, we could go on and on about how literature is the very, very best way to do that and reading out loud to kids. And, you know, we could go down that that trail as well. Uh, but then also it's incumbent upon the teacher to facilitate an understanding of those words. Right. And the great thing about kids is they don't need a whole lot of repetition. You know, their their minds are young they have they're absorbent. They there's some kids, you know, twelve year old. They could hear a word three times, and bam, they know that word. They could use it next time. Whereas, you know, the older we get, the the harder it is to remember that really cool word that we posted on Facebook three months ago. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, we, yeah, we do that. We actually do that quite frequently. So I want to end this episode with a challenge. Andrew Poudoua, are you ready? Oh, you're challenging me? I thought we are going to challenge the readers, Well, the listeners. It, it's kind of both, okay. and we'll just see how this all pans out because I'm not sure you're ready to accept this challenge. Uh, he has no idea what I'm about to I, ask I highly him. doubt it, but who knows? I'm, <laughs> I'm becoming a little more goal-oriented in my <laughs> 60s now. So first, it starts with a story. So when my oldest son was going into getting ready to go into college so he would have been a freshman sophomore in high school Mm -hmm. he was entering into a program called the tory academy and this was connected to biola university's tory honors institute where it's a great books type of oxford education for these students and they spend a lot of time having conversations about books before they actually do any writing about them, kind of exactly what you're talking about, Andrew. Yeah. And as an ex- as a demonstration of what this actually was, because a lot of the parents had no idea what this actually looked like, I being one of them, they did a demonstration class where the instructor, this at this point was actually Dr. John Mark Reynolds, you know, and several students, high school students, and they had read a book. And they were having a conversation about this book. And it was just fascinating to watch and listen. And I'm wondering, Andrew, if you and I can basically demonstrate that for our listeners and maybe vicariously our listeners can participate in this conversation that we can have next week about 
a short book, maybe something like one of the Chronicles of Narnia that we can have a conversation about where you can ask me questions or we can ask questions of each other where we can have a colloquium environment based on a simple book. How about a short story? Yeah, let's do a short story. And then we could actually send, you know, we could put the short story in the show notes too in case people want to do that. Okay, well, so link in the show notes of the short story that Andrew and I are going to read in preparation for next week's conversation about how to have a conversation about literature. We could use one from uh, one of the SSS. All right. Any ideas that come to you off the top of your head? It would just be really nice for people to have some time to read this themselves. We had a lot of fun uh, with the the Devil and Daniel Webster story. Oh, yeah. Okay. That was Um, good. Scratch. That was, I think that was the, the name that the he name. went by. Yeah. Yeah. yeah so yeah. why don't we try that one? All right. Devil All right. Daniel Webster. All right. You're on. Until next week. Talk to you then. Thanks so much for joining us. If you enjoyed this episode and want to hear more, you can subscribe to this podcast in iTunes, Google Play, or Stitcher, or just visit us each week at IEW.com slash podcast. Until then, on behalf of Andrew Pudua and the team at IEW, I thank you for allowing us to partner with you on your journey toward better listening, speaking, reading, writing, and thinking. <laughs>